Welcome everyone to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund and Catherine Zamuto, aka Cat on the Loose. This broadcast, let's put it this way, I needed the hot tub after it was over. That's why I'm here recording this right now. Wow. Um, I don't even know what to say except for wow. And there's so much here. It's it, it, it was the most Howard Stern-like, Opie and Anthony, Tony Robbins, um, Dr. Ruth mix mash of a broadcast I've ever been a part of. And uh, there's there's a lie here. Uh, this is for mature audiences. There's no doubt. It's, it's honest, it's uh, very straightforward, it's funny, it's, uh, it's moving, it's inspiring, it's kind of shocking. Um, some of you are going to have some questions, a lot of questions, and, uh, but nonetheless, stay tuned uh, for a great, really awesome episode, and without a shadow of a doubt, I am now a massive fan my new friend, Catherine, and you're about to see why. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to have my new friend and somebody that, that I just got in reading your book, Cat, and I am absolutely floored. I'm blown away by your entire story. Besides the fact that you do all of these amazing things in <laughs> entertainment and, and just in media, admire all of them. But after reading your book, I just... I want to give you a virtual hug. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Likewise, I want to give you a virtual hug as well. And I'm going to introduce you to my audience because we are doing not really a pod swap. We're doing, like a, I said, a B2B or like a collaboration. We are going to publish the same episode on my podcast and your podcast. <laughs> your name is Joshua Berglund. And for those of you, my audience that doesn't know you, you are multi-talented. You are a best-selling author. You have your own broadcasting channels. You do so much. You have a nonprofit media organization that we're going to talk about. Thank you for being here with us. It's an honor. Oh, I'm honored to have you as well. So this is cool. So my audience is going to get to know you and you are going to be a breath fresh air for them. And yeah. uh, I hope I could be a breath of fresh air for your audience as well. Awesome. That's the idea. I'm thinking because you there's so much going on when we talked before the podcast in your life and your work. I'm thinking like, OK, how do we start? Because my podcast is about sex, dating and relationships. Other than being crazy talented, what I really loved about you when we talked about doing this podcast is that you're very open about your life and how you carry it. I didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. Can you give people like a little bit of the background, your story? Oh, wow. So the, in short, which is all of the details, I'll try to avoid most of the details are all in the book, the devil inside me. But I grew up in an upper middle-class home. My mom was Mrs. America. My dad was a rock star toured with Ike and Tina and Jerry Lee Lewis. Like on the surface, we had it all going on vacations and going, we were members of the country club. All of it was awesome. That didn't mean that shit didn't happen behind the scenes. In fact, I think that the worst thing that I ever did was learn to lie. And I did a lot of bad stuff. 
other than being physically abused, I would say that being molested by men and women oh. uh, an early age and going into my teen years. And then of course, being raped as an adult from that's my fault because I took too many drugs that caused a lot of confusion inside of me. Now, to be honest with you, when I think back about what happened to me before being molested, I, I often wonder if I attracted that in my life. I know that sounds wild, but I'm pretty sure that my sexuality was already pretty much set or who I was there before I was molested by guys and women. The part that became so confusing, even though I didn't know what was happening to me when I was being raped, I didn't really understand it, didn't really know any, okay, what is this? This is a penis and okay, I, this hurts like hell. Why is this happening to me? And yet at the same time, it also felt good which is the mind to have to no, build pain and build pleasure. Let me interrupt you for one second, because I know about a little bit about you because we talked before, but just to put this in context for people that don't know you, you are a bisexual man. Is that how you categorize yourself? I wouldn't put it in anything in a oh. box. I would like to say fluid. <laughs> it's not being fluid. much okay. better. Here in LA, a lot of my friends say, and I love the words, they say they're polyamorous, meaning they like different individuals re regardless of what sex. Oh, that's a, probably a better word. <laughs> that's probably a better word. I'm really drawn to the energy of a person. And of uh -huh. course, I didn't, with growing up in the church and things like that, I immediately was shaming myself because of what happened. That confusion raged war in my soul and my spirit throughout my entire life. And it's only now, after turning my life around six years ago, that mm -hmm. I've come to peace with who I am, with my faith, and just being able to say, this is who I am. I'm Joshua. I, I have my faith, but I also am attracted to other people, and it's not all of them are the opposite sex. And I'm okay with so, that. And my so wife is... Joshua. Yeah, she's there. Where did you grow up? Sorry. I was born in Oklahoma, but Los Angeles is home for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, because no, because I was wondering, because Oklahoma is like very mainstream America, a lot less liberal than LA, right? Yeah, but you would be surprised how big the LGBT community is there. It's pretty shocking. I used to see when I was in the shadow worlds doing everything in secret, I hooked up with a couple pastors and but I'm not going to rat me one out. I'm just saying there's a lot of down low yeah. LGBT community folk that haven't come out yet. Delusia? I am so sorry. No, it, like my audience, I have a 10 year old little special needs dog. Oh. Just so you guys know what's going on. Yeah. And my pet sitter was supposed to come this morning and get both my dogs so I can do this podcast in peace. And she didn't show up. And usually they sleep, but he's crying and crying. And it's really cold here. So I'm wondering if he's like in pain or something. So I apologize. It's okay. Our cats may break in and yeah. come upstairs at any time. Somebody abandoned his little angel on the streets to die two years ago. So what a beautiful dog. I know I could murder this person. So I apologize for the interview. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. I know we, were, we were talking about Oklahoma and how you grew up. It's funny that you're saying that because, yeah, many times, like the mainstream society, the smaller cities and everything, they're the biggest hypocrites. 
when it comes to sex and relationships, because they don't do anything out in the open. They do it behind the, uh, closed doors. But the thing is, I think fear makes people hypocrites because I would live. The only reason why I wasn't open with who I was is because I was worried of judgment. I was worried that bad things were happening to me. I was worried I was going to hell. I was worried about all these things. Fear is a freaking liar. I, not to borrow from the song, but it really is. It's a lie. Most of the things that we're afraid of, 98% of it never even happens in the first place. But right. I'll tell you one thing. The one way to be invincible in this world that we live in, even though truth isn't popular, is to be honest. Oh, because yeah. it's saying about truth setting you free. That's way deeper of a statement than most people realize because it doesn't just set you free. It also removes fear from you for one. But the other part is truth sets the other people in your life free because they're not a slave to your secrets anymore. No, I know. I think I completely agree. And that's how I do all of my work. And I talk about it over and over again on my podcast. Most people, for some reason, they're afraid of being who they are. Yeah. And I always wonder, why would you even like even, for example, in the dating world, like in dating apps, right? People put filters and women lie about their ages and this. And I'm thinking, why in the world would you even want to start something with someone based on, it must be so much work to start anything based on a lie, right? It must, oh. I would be exhausted. I can barely remember my own life. Can you imagine trying to memorize lies all the time? These fil the filters remind me of bait and switch. And I used to hire a lot of hookers because hookers and cocaine were part of my vice. And there was a term in, in that world. It's called bait and switch. When you think you're hiring one person and you get another. It, it, there you go. And I got some crazy stories with that. That said, these filters that people are, it's worse than stuff in your bra. It, I know. It's, it's the like biggest lie. One million percent. So let's rewind because your story is very rich. I want to know a little more about it. So you were, you, you grew up, you were abused. You said that's really heavy. And then you said you were in this life of drugs and, mm -hmm. and this chaos. Oh, my, the very first time I tried cocaine was ecstasy, which then followed with cocaine and meth and ketamine and every other drug under the sun. But I also, my first time trying drugs was also at the same time I experienced my first orgy. And yeah, was How old were party. you? Do what? How old were you? 18. Wow. That's and, crazy. Uh, LA? No, that was in actually Daytona Beach, Florida. I was at college wow. cheerleading nationals. <laughs> like I tried ecstasy the first time during the day. And anyone who's eaten ecstasy knows these words. Hey, try this. It'll bring your roll back. So here it is. I'm eating ecstasy, ketamine, every drug that I could find. It was the first time I'd been to Florida. And here it is. I'm now in an orgy and I'm experiencing sexual pleasure that I've never experienced before between men, women, and sometimes I wasn't really sure. And drugs. So I became a chemsex addict nearly immediately because what yeah. the biggest part about this for me was that the nightmares in my head of being molested by those two guys when I was young, and that immediately became a fantasy. Wow. So all the things that hurt me in the past became sexual fantasies. And in some weird way, I reframed the pain that I felt 
And now it was all pleasure, but the only way to access that was drugs and sex. Oh my God. What are, and how, so how long were you living this life and how were you supporting yourself? I was really good at making money and uh, made a lot of money. Then I carried that on for almost 20 years. Making money. And, you mind telling us how, what were you doing? It's a good question. So I made a lot of money in healthcare. I was very good at what I did in healthcare. And then after selling that company, I ended up with a skincare line. Really at the early before, before all of that, one of the ways that I subsidized my drug habit, because I was working in healthcare, I was making good money, but not enough to do what I was doing because I'd moved to South Beach and I was living in South Florida for a while. And it's not cheap there. So I started prostituting myself and how it happened. It was a really crazy story, but I went to one of those porn theaters where you can have these little booths and theaters and couples and men go, it's a lot of gay men, but there are couples that go too. Uh-huh. And they have these booths. And so in this booth, it's relatively open. I'm watching a movie and I'm pleasuring myself. And next thing I know, this older gentleman comes up and just drops on his knees and starts performing oral sex on me. And as soon as I come, next thing I know, he puts a hundred dollars in my pocket and I'm oh. like, what the heck? So then we go outside and he says to me, Hey, I'd love to see you again. I got a great house. I'd love to have you come over. I'm going to the Olympics. Uh, it was when the Olympics were in Sydney, Australia. And so that's the timestamp for you. Oh, and he goes, I'll see you. And that is how I got into prostituting myself. I, I admire how open you are to talk about it. I really admire that because these are stories that I think are important to, to tell because it happens to so many teenagers, young adults out there. But most people just hide it under the covers, really. They never even tell their lifetime partners that, that once in, in a la- way before this happened to them. And that's how you develop a serial cheater, which I was. Right. Box, there's a chapter called Cheater in the book, The Devil Inside Me. and that because I was so afraid, I had to, I found refuge in prostitutes and yeah. because I knew that they wouldn't judge me. Ugh. And I started to become friends with escorts and massage girls and like mm-hmm. hanging out with their kids and stuff like that. But it's the only place I felt safe. I didn't feel safe with my own wife. My very first marriage, and I've been married a few times. My very Wait, first marriage. Share? Huh? How many can you share? Jessica's oh. marriage. Oh. The third marriage, I didn't know her. Uh-huh. The first marriage, I found out that I had a three and a half year old daughter. I was scared to death about being a father. I was actually living in Boca Raton, Florida at the time, a place that you know. And that's why I met my husband. Yes. But I remember. Uh-huh. The night of our wedding reception, I got pretty drunk and I was hitting on the guy bartender because I couldn't help myself. And on the way back, I was drunk enough to go to tell her about my sexual experiences with the men because I'd never shared that with, that wasn't a prostitute before. And she looked at me because I was desperate to tell the truth at this point in my life. I was desperate. 
because lying's not fun. It's freaking exhausting. No, I like I said, I don't even understand people that do it. I see this. Oh, I was pathological the, liars. I'm like, who the fuck has time for that? Honestly, it's so draining. It drains it it energy. It is, but I developed that habit, and I was scared I to death. But I was drunk enough to tell the truth. In her words to me, I'll never forget. She looked at me, she's driving. She goes, if I would have known that you were a faggot, I would have never married you in the yeah. first place. And then immediately I'm like, oh, I'm not gay. I'm over that part of my life, blah, blah, blah. And for the record, that scenario that happened of where saying, hey, I won't do this anymore. Or, hey, I'm, I don't need that in my life anymore. I think I told that to probably about 10 other women after that day. Well, I'm sure from marriages to relationships, because you have to understand, I didn't want to be bisexual or into men, or I didn't want any of that. It caused my life so much pain and so much hell, but you got to understand what I finally realized, all that pain and suffering that was happening, I was doing to myself because I was afraid to be honest. I was afraid that my mom wouldn't love me. I was afraid I was going to hell. I was afraid of all that stuff. I don't think it's... The sexuality that is the issue. The issue is how you treat other people and how you try to hide it and live a double life and all this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's no blessing that lies, I promise you. I agree. So how did you decide to turn your life around and say, I'm not going to kill myself doing drugs anymore? I was in L.A. County. A second time, I was facing five years in prison. Really? For domestic violence. I'd been there six times. Oh, my God. And this time there was two domestic violence charges. And the second time that I was there, which I shouldn't have been there the sixth time in my opinion, but I also should have been in prison for 30 years because of all the other stuff I did. But this one particular time I had a bug up my butt about, and I was facing five years and there was no way out of it. And I remember when I walked in and I was going through the booking process, I told them that I had HIV, which I do. But I told them that I had HIV thinking it was going to give me special privileges and it didn't give me special privileges because they put me in isolation and I was in this really small cell. I believe it was the psych ward. I'm not sure, but I was in this cell that was super small by myself. Couldn't see out of it. Couldn't see anywhere. I could hear the screams of crazy people nonstop. My God. It took 24 hours for me to sober up enough off the cocaine and the tequila. And I, I don't know if I had any meth that night, but to <laughs> definitely cocaine and tequila. And I sobered up enough to realize that, oh my God, what have I done with my life? Long I story think sometimes story. it's the cheesy thing that people say, but it's true. Sometimes you have to hit... Rock bottom. bottom and almost die and be in hell to pull yourself out of it. I, I saw hell for sure. Oh, okay. I also, I, I know that this is not a faith-based podcast or anything like that, but I right. would be remiss if I didn't say that sure. when I started screaming and cursing at God about why he wouldn't fix me and change me, mm-hmm. God spoke back and he had right. Very clear instructions, and those clear instructions are what changed my life forever. And of course, you all can read that in the book. I will no, go- it, it's an incredible book, and again, it's so nice and refreshing how you just open up about everything. Because I know, like I always say, 
When people read my book, or, or by the way, I, it's not being sold anymore. It got pulled out of Amazon, long story, but yeah, I'll tell you the story later. But anyways, I'm rewriting it. But anyways, there is always somebody with the story even worse than ours. That's true. Because like when I think about myself, I think, wow, I can't. Sometimes I read back. I'm like, I cannot even believe I survived all the shit that I did. <laughs> but in my case, I never did drugs because I was never into drugs. I don't know. Here and there, I've dabbled. I've tried things. But I just don't. I don't. I just thought it's not for me. I never wanted to become an alcoholic because I was married to an alcoholic and my mom was an alcoholic. So I was like, okay, I don't want to die like they did. So for me, it was more like really just being abused and being mistreated and all this shit. But when I read, and then of course, having to build my life over from scratch. But when I read stories like yours, I'm like, holy fuck, that's a whole other level of rebuilding. Because yeah, when you're doing drugs, I was just finishing reading the Matthew Perry book. I don't know if you read it. You know, the actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to do a parenthesis in a little bit about that because I saw him on Saturday and I was very worried about him, by the way. But anyways, when you're dealing with drug addiction, it's a whole other animal because it's not just saying, like you said, oh, I don't want to cheat anymore. Drugs, you got to deal with the addiction. And I think only people that do drugs and alcohol understand how hard that is. And add sex to the mix. <laughs> and add sex to the mix. So do you think you were a sex addict as well? Oh, I, 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 I am 100% a recovering chem sex addict. There is no, it's beyond sex. It's beyond drugs. It's chem sex. Like I, okay. alcohol was just an excuse to get me to the drugs, but mm -hmm. alcohol, I, can, I don't really even care for but I love the way cocaine, I'm going to use present tense because I would be lying if it was different. I love the way that cocaine makes me feel. Agree. I, I have stop. tried. I agree. I have tried cocaine before with some guy that I was dating right around the time I got divorced from Anthony and I got scared. I got really scared, especially in Miami. It's like fresh, pure cocaine from Colombia. And I am a person, I like highs. Like yeah. I, everything I do is daredevil. Like, if I'm going to go ski, I'm going to jump from the highest mount. I love speed. I love crazy. So when I tried cocaine, I was like, okay, this is not for me because it's, I'm going to die. I'm literally going to die. So I decided I never want to do it again. So I, but I completely understand what you're saying. Yes, yeah, 1 million percent. Yeah, I, I'm. That was a demon that even after turning my life around that it, any, because I, when I celebrated and I was happy, it was, let's go get cocaine it, mm -hmm. and then would turn into sex. If it was, I'm having a bad day, it was give me cocaine or meth or it just, it, yeah. it, for every emotion that I had, that was the medicine and the recipe for it, which oh, sex for over 20 years. And by the way, before we talk about how. You dig yourself out of that hole. A lot of people that, that I want to know your opinion, but usually men, when they're doing cocaine, they can't even perform. They can't get it up. They can't get hard. Because cocaine uh, affects the body. Was that the case with you? So it depends. Sometimes yes, of course, and sometimes no. When I switched to meth, I didn't care because I was what they would call, I was a whore. I was a bottom <laughs> whore. Um, okay, yeah. To say the least, I couldn't, 
my sex and drug binges were like four days long, three days long, and just insanity. And it, it, it's nothing that I'm proud of. And it's obviously nothing that gets me, it doesn't turn me on. There's, that's not sexy at all. There's like, I haven't right, found right. peace with my sexuality and a new thing that's sexy, but I don't have this uncontrollable, demonic craving and almost bloodlust. Like I, I was the Jeffrey Dahmer of sex addicts and not that I killed, it wasn't like a killer, but I was killing myself with right. sex, I killing my thought with sex and drugs and then hurting other people too, to, to, to go with it. That's one interesting thing. Yeah. Usually addicts don't even understand that. that was my case. They don't understand that they're hurting the people and killing the people with them Yeah, in the process because it's such a selfish habit, any addiction. It's all about you. It's all about you. If it's alcohol, it doesn't matter. You're only thinking about yourself. You only think about the craving. And I remember during my entire marriage, I used to look at my husband and say, you love me. You're going to stop drinking for me. And that's such bullshit because the addiction is so above any other love that they might feel, but they are oblivious to the fact that the person near them is dying with them or being destroyed in the process. Yeah, and then your family, like I was reading about the Vegas situation that yes, happened. Yes, it was. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that effect, it affected, it, that trickled over into all areas of your life. And yet, oh, yeah, yeah. One you love, but you fell in love with the man that you saw when he was sober. Yeah. And so, just like all the women that tried to love me and try to rescue me and try to be there for me, yeah. I wasn't having any of that. They were there because they were enabling me and they went along with me what I was doing. Yeah. It, 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 but it was selfish. There was nothing about what I was doing and how I was and what I was about was anything of love. It was feeding right. the demon inside of me, period. No, I, I absolutely. And now knowing what I know, and I'm not a, an expert in addiction, but I think I'm almost an expert in alcoholism. But this is what I say. Nobody can save the addict that you have to make that decision for yourself. Do you agree? Now looking back, and I know so many women, they say the same thing that I say, oh, but I love him. I'm going to save him. He's going to stop drinking for me. He's going to stop doing drugs. That is such bullshit. It's save yourself. The person needs to make a decision. I want to live. I want to survive. And luckily, it it's your, unfortunately, it wasn't Anthony's case. He decided he wanted to die. It was a very clear choice that he made. He said a million times, I want to die. Luckily, in your case, something happened to you that you said, I want to get out of this hole. Yeah. So can you tell people, let's say and hope somebody out there is going through the same. What is the toughest first little step? When you, like, like when you were in jail and you said, what am I doing with my life? What is the first little step you would tell someone if they want to pull themselves out of this horrible, dark hole of addiction? God. <laughs> That's a tough God. one, right? So for me, it was with, it was the realization that I needed to forgive my father. Like I had been hanging on to all of this hatred and anger toward it, towards him. I showed up an hour late to his funeral because I was doing cocaine and having group sex up until 6 a.m., the funeral started at eight. I showed up at 9.30. I hated him, hated him, hated everything about him. But when I was screaming at God and cursing at God about why he wouldn't fix me and change me like everybody else that he had changed, I heard, you have to forgive your father. 
In my words, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? And then I heard, because it happened to him too. And, And so when you hear anyone is molested or abused, if you don't go, oh, damn, oh, I'm sorry. If you don't have that reaction, then you're got. I don't know if you're human. So when I heard that, I realized that, and I was like, oh my God, that's true. He was abused by his mom. He was abused by his dad. He was molested by blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh God. And then I realized I've been hating my dad all of these years. I have become just like him, if not worse. In fact, I knew I'd become worse. So that gave me compassion, which allowed me to forgive. And in that small amount of forgiveness and that small amount of releasing something that I'd been hanging on to, there was enough light that was able to come in to start working on my heart. And then I was start, then I was able to ask for forgiveness for the things that I even knew myself needed forgiveness from. And that was the start of the adventure because it got, it became an adventure as soon as I got out of jail. And I'm like, wow, I made all these promises when I was locked up. Now, now I'm not in jail anymore. Now what am I going to do? But that's when the adventure started, but it started with forgiveness. It started with compassion, then forgiveness. I hear you, but I agree because, and I think it's a power move when somebody does something really bad and horrible to you. If you are willing to even be nice to that person, like you said, forgive that person, takes such a huge weight off of you. And I do that. I live my life like that. And a lot of people think I'm crazy. Like even if somebody's nasty to me, I'm extra nice to them because I think they need it even more. And I know it's very tough to do that. And a lot of people say, oh, but he was an asshole to me. He cheated. But if you keep that anger inside you based on what somebody did to you, many times it ends up damaging your life. Absolutely. So I agree. It's such a power move if you learn how to forgive and move on and just let go no matter what it is. It's a bigger power move what you're talking about because in the face of somebody, in the face of adversity, choosing to react with love or to be loved in that situation, that is a skill set that most people, including faith-led people, that's, a, that's a, one of the toughest skills ever. The, the good it, is. it is. And I just decided for some reason it makes my life really light, really light. And you can try that. You can notice in like small things, let's say road rage. Like sometimes you're driving and the guy's Usually I stop and I'm like, I'm so sorry. That's not, and I open like this big smile and it disarms the person. If somebody's trying to be nasty to you about anything, if you respond, and I know it's hard because we have blood, but if you respond with kindness and a big smile, most of the time it disarms their anger. At least it works for me time and time again. I learned a trick. Because I'm feisty and hot-blooded, and I have a really bad temper that I work on every single day. I heard something about three years ago when I was on set in L.A., and I heard them say this, and it stuck with me, and I apply it to my life most of the time, most of the time, is when someone that you're dealing with, and you know that it's confrontational or could be, you, you prepare yourself to immediately think. I love you before you respond. So 
someone's coming at you, they're full of bad energy, whatever, they're being aggressive with you, or maybe you've made a mistake and you feel like, realize you're going to have to apologize. Preparing yourself with I love you before you say anything else disarms yourself from reacting in a negative way and yeah. laughing out at someone else. Because you can't say I love you, then say fuck yourself right after it. It's really yeah. hard to hear. I don't say I love you, but like I said, I just, at least that's my take on it. 99.9% of the time when somebody's really angry or attacking you or abusing you or hurting you, it's because there's something really horrible inside them. Like you said about your father, even like in the dating world, because this podcast is about dating, I tell girls all the time, if a guy ghosts you, if a guy cheats on you, if a guy treats you like a, an asshole. I promise you, most of the time, it has nothing to do with the woman. It has to do with something that they are dealing with. And they are not capable of appreciating what you're giving them. So the minute you realize that, you stop feeling bad about yourself and you feel bad about them. And then that's why it works for me. Like when a guy treats me like shit or breaks my heart or something, I'm like, well, I'm sure he's dealing with a lot of stuff right now. So I feel bad for him. So. I release you from guilt of being an asshole to me. <laughs> That's usually how I deal with it. But you don't keep them. Wait a second. You're not keeping them around after that, are you? No, usually I know I do not keep okay. anybody around because like I said, I was in an abusive marriage for 14 years, 15 years. And I took care of Anthony until he died. So if you count those two other years of abuse, and I don't think anybody on the planet can understand what it is to be taking care of an alcoholic in his final stages of life, drinking around the clock, 24 hours a day with minor breaks for naps, falling on the floor, 240 pound man. And literally I almost died in the process. No, I'm 117 pounds. So I almost died in the process of taking care of him. But I felt for whatever reason, that was what I was supposed to do. And I feel good about doing it. But yeah, so after I went through 15, and you've been through abuse, after you go through 15 fucking years of abuse, if I made this decision, if anybody, just, it, it can be the tiniest thing. If a guy calls me, oh, you're so stupid, I am out the door. That's one non-negotiable in my life. I am, I refuse. I think no form of verbal abuse is okay, period. I'm going to ask you something, because I know yeah. you experienced a lot of different types of abuse. Do you feel that the verbal abuse was, it may not have been worse as far as in the moment, but how it stays with you? Would you suggest, oh, yeah. Yeah, same here, those Ooh. words, the oh. word were abusive to me, it's like it burned inside of my, my brain. God. Yeah, I think many times it hurts. Yeah, it hurts more than physical abuse. It hurts more than a slap. Because you start feeling like if somebody calls you, you're a piece of shit, you're a fucking useless human being, you're a whore, you're this, you're that, you, you fucking moron, you dumbass. If the person repeats it over and over, you start feeling like that. You literally start believing. Yeah, that's what I am. I deserve that. You're always going to be a fucking failure. You're always going to be a fuck up like your dad. You're always going to be... I I've been called AIDS dick, dick faggot. I've been called all of these yeah. names. And, and here's like the cool thing about it, though. Yeah. Once somebody knows their identity, those words that are said, it's... 
Yeah. She'd see me on the weekends. I know, <laughs> Try to that. say what you want to say. Bring yeah. your best shot because I have not only said worse about myself, but I've also gotten it really bad. But now that I know my identity, there's nothing you can say to me exactly. that is going to hurt exactly. me. Exactly. I agree. It's really funny to say, yes, when you're going through abuse, it's so painful and it's so difficult to get out of it. And I know so many women that go through the same that I go through, even like my neighbors, they fight like a cat and a dog and calling her names and it, it strikes a chord on me and it breaks my heart. I'm like, I can't believe this girl is going through this because he calls like, you're a fucking idiot. Get the fuck out. Exactly like you strapped to me. But you're right. Once you break the cycle. Nowadays, there is nothing anybody could say to me that affects me. I actually laugh. If somebody offends me in any way, which is very rare, but if somebody calls me a name or anything, I just laugh because I know who I am and I know my worth. But it's just really difficult to break the cycle. Yes, one million percent. I want to talk to you about something. It's my turn to ask you a question. Yes, go for because it. And then I'm going to take a Your story is reminds me of somebody that's very close to me in blood. I'm not going to specify because she will listen. Sure. But she is in a situation where she meets somebody, they got the money, they've got the success, they got all of that. She gets pregnant it, and now is stuck in a relationship. I will, I'll try to spare some of the details, but long story short, She's being abused. She's, she's, it's worse than that. But again, I want to be careful because I don't want to make it clear who it is. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, but she's in a situation where she's got no education. She's got no background. Like you didn't have, you have an education. You have that. She yeah. doesn't, but she is in a situation where she is dependent on a man because he has provided everything for yeah. her. And she's now in a situation where she's stuck. And she can't leave. Or if she leaves, she's going to be homeless. She's going to start from zero. She doesn't have an education to build herself back up. She doesn't have those skills. I'm speaking to this because I know her story is like thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of other women out there. It is. What kind of advice do you have for women right now that are stuck in an abusive relationship, a controlling relationship, whatever, and they feel like, They have nowhere to go. Will you speak to that? Yeah. Like I said, get the fuck out. I don't (laughs) believe in that. I have nowhere to go. You're going to end up dying. Nothing on this planet, no money in the world, no mansion in the world, no man in the world is worth more than your well-being. Life is insanely short. Get the fuck out. She doesn't have anywhere to go. Apparently she has relatives. There are a million resources for abused women. There are non-for-profits. I actually help one called Dress for Success that aids women that were abused to get back into the workplace. There is always a place to go. You're going to be homeless. Go be fucking homeless. Go to a shelter. Call a relative. Call a friend. Get the fuck out. Because guess what? Violence and abuse gets worse. It gets worse and worse and worse. You have a child in the mix. You have an obligation to protect your child. Honestly, most people don't get out. Like my mom used to say to me, are you, shut the fuck up. He has all this money. What are you going to do with your life? That's bullshit. Everybody has a chance to start over. Everybody, as long as you're healthy, 
And like I said, she has you. She must have friends. It's hard to believe somebody is like completely alone in the world. And even if you are, which by the way, I don't like saying that because I'm not a victim by any means. Thank God I'm very healthy to work. But I am completely alone in the world. Completely. I'm an orphan. I lost my mom. I lost Anthony. I don't have siblings. I don't have anybody on this planet. I thought I had hundreds and hundreds of friends when I was a millionaire. Every single one of them turned their back on me. I begged and begged for jobs. Not one person said, sure, cat, here, come. I'm not fucking kidding you. And like one of my friends said to me, they buy popcorn and they sit on the front row to watch the misery. Unfortunately, that's human nature. They want to see you miserable. But everybody has resources. But if she's being abused, get the hell out. Pack a bag, lie that you're going to go to the manicure, whatever the fuck go away and then once you're safe you there even there are even attorneys that work pro bono for abused women don't accept abuse period that's my message to women and men out there do not accept abuse it only gets worse and i something that we have some synergy on is our work in media and with like we my wife and i have a nonprofit media organization and you work in media and you teach media yeah. and you have, so you're a resource. Can you share just how empowering for you being in media has, like all of the different options it's given you from for financial, whether it's different revenue streams, opportunities. Can you speak to that also? Yeah. For the, that's the thing. Most people are not comfortable working with media. I am because I've been doing it my whole life. You are too. So that's a tough one for most people. Like even speaking openly the way you and I are, I know it's very tough for most people. Most abuse victims don't want to tell that they're abused, right? Usually it's like on the down low. So I think it's important for people like us to give a voice to other abuse victims. When I do my podcast... And I get messages from women. Oh, thank you so much. You gave me the courage to live an unhappy marriage. Or you gave me the courage to be happy and start over. No, no. I feel, even if I help one person, I feel, okay, maybe that's my message to the world. That's my goal here in this life. So this is why I keep speaking up. And when I meet somebody like you, and I meet a lot of interesting people like that on the podcast, they're willing to talk about all kinds of subjects. This is why I love doing it, like these organic yeah. conversations that give people the strength, right? To just tell your story. This is what we were talking about in the beginning. Lies just make your life so much more difficult. Yeah. And so many people, like you see a couple and you think they have this perfect marriage. And then behind closed doors, they're fucking miserable assholes just like showing up. It must be such a tough life. Like you said, if you cannot be yourself, I'm sure like when I look at you today, if I know nothing about you, I never would have known that you were going through so many tough things because you look good, you're handsome, you're light, your skin looks amazing, you look healthy. Very likely because you're living your best life now, right? Absolutely. I'm and very blessed. There you I, go. I wouldn't have it without truth though. Truth gave me what I wanted. Exactly. Everything that I wanted, but I was too afraid to get, too afraid to ask for, too afraid to admit yes. that I wanted. Yes. And like when I finally go, okay, this is really what I want. This is who I am. I got it. 
And I got yeah. to live the life that I always wanted to live. Exactly. And it's the same truth. thing with me. It's the same thing with me. I was in this multi-million dollar mansions and private jets and hotel, na na na, and purses and bags, whatever. I now I have close to nothing. The people that love me, they love me. The men that want to date me, they know my reality. They have to like me for me. I'm starting over. All my projects, I work seven days a week, 15, 20 hours a day. No shit. It's the truth. Just to pay my bills and support my dogs. But guess what? I've never been happier. I've never been happier with so little. I don't give a fuck about material things. It's great to have them. One million percent. Money is really important. But I'm happy because I wake up light and happy and I tell my stories and I share stories with people. And I think that's the message that I try to send to women out there. Look less at the material things that the guy is going to give you and more as cheesy as it is, love, physical affection, emotional support. And so many girls, it's really sad because they're looking for sugar daddies. They're looking for dudes to pay their bills. And I'm telling you, you're selling yourself short if that's what you're doing. Well, and you're selling yourself too, whether yeah, you want to wrap your head around that or not. It's, it's Men look at it that way. In other words, I'm paying you, so I own your ass and you're going to do what I say. Yeah. And if you don't do what I say, then I'm going to make life very uncomfortable and unpleasant for you. And then exactly. because you're hooked on the money, it's yeah. really hard to walk away. I know, 1 million percent. I need to take a two-minute break for my lovely sponsors, and we'll be right back with Joshua. I'm telling you, your life is so rich, and my life is very rich. Thank goodness we could talk about this stuff. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is a super fun and very emotional, right? Very powerful. It's fun, but it's serious at the same time episode. We'll be right back. This is an emotionally draining, but very important episode of Cat on the Loose slash Josh T. Berglund podcast, because we're going to publish the episode on both, right? Thank you for doing this with me. Oh, I'm. thank you. I'm having fun. And thank you for being so brave and telling your story. So moving on and fasting forward. So you clean up your act. Did you have to go to rehab? No. Rehab's not what did it. At all. Okay. In fact, I don't even trying to be sober seemed like it was counterproductive. So I, I'm not smashing any recovery programs or AA. Mentally, if I tell myself you can't do that, I'm going to find a way to do that. Okay. And it wasn't good for me to do that. So I made the choice to quit using meth. I made the choice to quit using drugs. I use cannabis. I'm an advocate for cannabis. I will recommend mushrooms to almost anybody. I stand by those because I believe it's medicine. That said, as far as the hardcore drugs that I was doing before, I, I made the choice that I wanted the life that I believed I was created for more than I wanted that other life. Because yes. I believe those dreams and visions and those big picture things that pop into our head. I believe that's our creator saying, this is the life I have for you. If yes. you just choose to take it, it's yours. Yes. I finally understood that every time I was molested, every time I was abused, every time I overdosed, every time I almost died, every time something tragic happened in my life, 
I would get this image of a better life. And I didn't know what it meant until I turned my life around. And then I realized that entire time, that was the life I was supposed to live. And so when I turned my life around, I was so focused and dedicated and so certain that it was the, what the calling on my life, what I was created to do, that I wanted that more than the drugs. I still want to do meth. I still want to do cocaine. You have the crazy. It's fun, but I don't want to do it more than I yeah. want what I'm made for, if that do makes sense. Do you drink alcohol at all or you quit alcohol culture? Like every once in a while, but we just, my wife and I, we don't really enjoy it that much. Uh, like a glass of wine every once in a while. So you can control it, right? You can. Yeah. One, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't wake up going, man, I need a drink. Now, I may say I could use a fine sativa right now, which I has been medicine. I have a condition called... And I've healed so much from it, but it's called Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID, also known as Multiple Personality Disorder. I've healed so much of that part of my life, and that all happened from the abuse and all the other crap that was going on in my life, but I've healed so much. And so I used to be on all of these mental health drugs and medicine. I quit all of them, and I just used cannabis as medicine, and every once in a blue moon... I'll do mushrooms too, but that is therapy for me. That is medicine for me and I love it. And I've adjusted beautifully to just using cannabis. Yeah, that, no, that's great. So each their own. My yeah. little rule that I do for my life is I don't think anything should control you. You should control anything you want to do because I keep remembering like alcohol in the beginning, the alcohol person that is alcoholic, they think I control it. I control it. And then one day you cross that line and the alcohol controls you and you're fucked, which is what happened to Anthony. And in a, a, a big degree, that's what happened to my mom as well. So I love drinking wine. I don't want to be like a teetotaler, but I love drinking my wine. It's my French blood in me, but I control it. Yeah. Like you said, I'll have my glass of wine or something. So I think that's a nice little rule for, like you said, if you want to smoke pot, whatever you want to do, just make sure we are in control. And I'm, you're 100% right. And I'm also very fortunate to have the most amazing wife. And I'm not saying that because she's here. No, we're going to talk about my best friend. She's the best friend I've ever had in my life. And, and when I, when we've had trouble in our marriage or conflict, we shift gears to where we may not be married that day. We just decide to be friends. And if we're, if I'm being a bad friend, then she'll go, okay, now we're families. It's, you know, we stay together, but then we shift the dynamics of a relationship to ease things. And then we come back together to have the conversation. She has helped me. If she wouldn't be in my life, I would not be talking to you today. If she didn't come into my life, I would not have healed as much as I have. And I sure as heck would not be. How long have you guys been together? We got married two Christmases ago. So this is our third Christmas coming up or second one? Third. Third Christmas. You guys been together for three years. February 20. We met on Valentine's Day uh, 2020. In real life. In real life for the first time. I flew in on Valentine's Day. How did you guys meet? Dating app? Oh, no. We met on Facebook friends. And... She was in Minnesota. Okay. 
moving to Minnesota was like the last thing I was going to do. Like I, LA is- You were in LA. You were in LA. I moved to Minnesota like on purpose. There must be a lot of love because I don't see me moving to Minnesota for any man on this planet. Not even George Clooney covered in gold. It's so beautiful. How Minneapolis is special. There's special people here. I know. I like it to visit, but like not LA weekend, though. No, I know. After weekend or a week, because I'm very hyper. Like I have to have the restaurants and the yeah. cultural events. I have to have stuff around me to do. Yeah, I would definitely have cabin fever. But I admire it because it must be like real love. Oh, it, it is. But she, it started as my best friend, but I got to tell you that when she first reached out to me, it was business. She wanted to pick my brain and I got to tell you that happens a lot when I was on social media and I, and it was always the same generic bullcrap questions. What made her stand out to me is she was asking these very detailed, specific questions that only someone who has educated themselves on the subject could have asked. Awesome. That really impressed me. So it started off as being friends and best friends, but then I started getting visions for her and I started seeing like what her life was going to be. And then I found myself getting jealous of whoever this mystery man was in the visions. And come to find out it was me in the visions the whole time. It just, anyway, wow. she's my best. She's best. Awesome. You told me that you guys are in an open marriage. Let me describe this to you. You want to describe this, honey, or are you coming on camera? And that's great. I'll let, I want her to verbalize it. Say hello to my wife, everyone. Jessica Lynn. Hi, hi Jessica. I the, camera. the camera loves me <laughs> every time. Well, I would say that we are exploring that more. We're in the beginning phases of exploring it more. Before it was like, okay, we'll have fun and like maybe introduce someone here and there and just why not? But now I think we're, we've taken it to a different level where we're taking it more seriously and to see if that is something that will improve and be an asset to our relationship or not. And this all started with, because of my sexuality being. Because you're, you, because oh, like you said, you're fluid. So are we talking about an open marriage where you can go out with men, for example, if you're in the mood or if you like someone? I don't think one of us want that. Okay. I so you. So that's not what you mean when you talk about an open marriage. How do you feel about being married to a man that, that is saying that to you, that he's fluid? Maybe oh. if he came home and told you, I met a guy at the grocery store and I'm really attracted I to this guy. <laughs> I want to go on a date with this guy. I'm sorry, but let's be honest about it. I want to feel, I want to suck a dick, whatever. How would you feel about that? Too. Yeah, that's all happened. Okay, so it's open in that sense. Okay, yeah. that's all. Yeah, there's no secrets at all. So how do you deal with it? It's totally cool with you. I guess I just have never been jealous about what he chooses. He filled my cup. Like, it's uh, full. Okay. In all of the different arenas of a relationship. Like, it's, uh -huh. it's, it's more full than it's ever been with a man. I've been married twice before and I've been engaged a couple of other times. 
And Josh loved fill my cup in all the areas more than anyone ever has. So it doesn't bother me. It doesn't feel like competition. Right. Now, like, that's another thing. There's, I don't really like being put in a box or having limitations put on me. So I like having someone that I don't have to do that with. That's awesome. I don't want another woman either. No. I hear you. Like, so the whole idea of the whole concept of an open relationship where I could go sleep with women, like I have zero desire with if any desire that I have, it's to be with a man. But really, if I was to go off on my own the whole time, this is honestly like whether I'm if I was on drugs or not, this is what I had to realize when I got sober away from the drugs to realize what was real for me. I had to know what was actually real and what wasn't. And for me, I know that I'm always going to want her there. So I, I don't want to go off on my own in that sense. Now, finding the right mix, like if we met another couple that was on the same vibe as us, the thing is, it's like, I still wouldn't want to sleep with that person's wife because it, mm, it's different to me. Right here, the yeah. attraction, my attraction to men is almost like it's a different person altogether, even though it's not. Like it feels completely different for me. Both, even if it was like I had some kind of feelings for that person, it's still not even in the same realm as. Oh, sure. I, I hear you. There's a big difference between love and intimacy and attachment and like a physical sexual desire. The problem is most couples on the planet don't have the balls to tell each other things like that. I personally think it's much better to be honest with each other than to cheat. Yeah. Looking at, first of all, looking at porn is lazy. So here's what happens when men are- porn. You know what? I'm not going to, I'm not hating on it. We have friends for porn stars. I don't have a problem with porn. So here's what it is. It's wasting for a guy. I'm wasting my seed when I could be given it to- Hey, maybe you don't have to come, but like as foreplay, a couple. Oh, or, yeah. Listen, like, I, no, well, like, I don't think it's a problem. I like I, I don't judge any of that stuff at all because I'm just saying for me, I could put, I would rather put that attention into a real situation as opposed to I hear yeah. jerking off and then and being done. I want to address something too, because I know you have a lot of men that listen. Yes. And one of the if men, if you, I'm actually this is best, just a, men, you got to start being honest about what you really want because that's the only way you're going to get it. Because the sneaking around, I get more calls from men that are cheating that like other guys, but they're afraid to tell their wife because they'll leave them. I've been through it. I know all these things. Like, you can't tell me a scenario that I'm not going to go. I've been there. But yeah, if you. Your life will be so much easier. You will be more successful. You will be happier in all areas of your life. You will be a better father. You'll be a better lover. You'll be a better husband if you're just honest. And here's the thing. If you're living a lie and you're telling lies, those people in your life aren't mm -hmm. your people. So while you're saying they find out the truth, they're not going to love me. Guess what? They're not. They're there based on a lie. They don't even know who you really are anyway. So how do you even live with yourself? And how do you tell yourself that you have friends and loved ones when you lie to them? You don't lie to people you love. Yeah. You lie because you're selfish, insecure. 
and afraid. Afraid. It gives afraid. you what you want. Yeah, most people lie because they're afraid. I have a lot of friends who are married and who go out with men who are bisexual. Or like here in LA, they like saying polyamorous, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I honestly think the happiest people are the people that decide that they're going to live their truth. But unfortunately, we all know that society in general doesn't want to deal with people like that. So it's, it is subjects that very rarely are being brought up. I think no matter what you want to do, if you want to go out with other men, if you want to go out with other women, if you want to have more sex, if you want to have less sex, the whole point is communicate to your partner. And like you said, I agree. I think the right person will stay and have the same energy that you do. It doesn't have to be a threat. And look, and I know what it says in the Bible. I know all those arguments. Trust me, I'm a man of faith. I I don't. No, you don't like these subjects. Because, yeah, I'm not religious. I wasn't going to say anything religious. But that's. I know, but like when you say what's on the Bible, I don't even, because I don't want people that are not religious to think that it's like they're bad people because of the Bible or something. That's not what I was going to say, actually, at all. We will, I will, I'll say it in the pre, because again, this, the Bible has been weaponized against people for all the wrong reasons. When most people don't even realize that that is not a complete Bible to begin with. So beating somebody over the head with your beliefs, when you don't even know where your beliefs really come from, that's a problem. Come on, camera. Sorry. Anyway, I we can pass the Bible now. I'll try yeah, to not I, agree, I, just, I think I'm like equal opportunity, like talker that I respect everybody's religion. I respect everybody's point of view. And just for me, I decided a long time ago that I don't do religion for whatever reason. But I respect. That, that's actually good. Religion is not a good thing. At all. I agree. Anyway, I don't. I think it's I, too complicated. <laughs> But I think it's amazing that you guys found a marriage that you can tell each other everything. Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing in any relationship. Because here's the thing, though. At the very least, whether our relationship is open or not, even the verbal foreplay of whispering in her ear the things that are going through my head or her telling me, it's that in itself is almost as exciting as if we actually found somebody to come over to do those things. <laughs> it's the thing about just being yeah. honest about what you want. It's so awesome. Yes, I agree. Many times it's a lot more talking about it than actually doing. Now, let's switch it around. What if she came to you? Does she do the same thing if she said, oh, I want to go out to somebody else? Like I, I met this woman or this guy and I like this person. How would you feel about it? Is it open I, for her as well? So I, first of all, I wouldn't, I seriously doubt that I would want to go off without her. But if she came to me and said that, you know mm-hmm. why I would let her do it? Because she would let me do it. And it's the right yeah. thing to do. Um, second part, look, I cheated on a lot because I, I mean, I was a cheater too. So it went both ways. But I, I remember the very first time I got cheated on, I discovered it and I was at my girlfriend's house and I just happened to lay on her bed and I looked under the bed and I saw an open box of condoms. We didn't use condoms. That's how I found out we got cheated on. It ripped me apart because of pride, because of 
selfishness, whatever, even though I was cheating, by the way, it ripped me apart. And so I remember we got into it, whatever. Anyway, fast forward a week or so, we go, I get a hotel room because it's where she lived in a different town in Oklahoma. And as we're going to the hotel room, we're having sex. And I know I can see in her mind, I know that she's thinking about something else. So I said the words, you're thinking about him right now, aren't you? Oh my. And she said, yes, I'm thinking about him fucking you in the ass while you're inside of me. So I, for the church crowd that's listening to this, I apologize for my language. Anyway, so she says this to me and then I immediately go, I'm no longer worried about being cheated on. Now I'm into hot wifing and cuckolding almost instantly because that nightmare, that scary, that pain, that hurt, I don't know if this is a healthy way to deal with it or not, but I took what hurt me and turned it into a fantasy. And guess what? Cheating on never bothered me again. I hear you. But I will say this. Hold on. One last thing. Yeah. Sex part is sex to me, but I'll tell you one thing that I get very jealous over and I would absolutely lose my effing mind and probably end up in prison if somebody went for jessica's heart i then would be very angry (laughs) so there's a big difference between the two i agree there's a big difference between sex with no feelings and feelings for the person that you're with i completely agree two very different things i don't know i feel i'm not a i i don't feel good about cheating just because i never cheated on anyone believe it or not even people ask me, but you didn't cheat on Anthony because our sex life was so crappy. And I swear my mother's soul, I never, ever cheated on him. 14 years, I barely had sex. So now I want to make up for it. I want to have a partner that likes it as much as I do. All my boyfriends have to keep up. Otherwise, like, they're out the door. But I think, and then I was cheated by a boyfriend. The only boyfriend I had after Anthony, he was cheating on me on my birthday with somebody else. And it was very hurtful. And this is why I think it's always better to tell the truth to the person's face, no matter what it is that you want to do. It's so much better to say, look, I'm sorry. I'm attracted to somebody else. Blah, blah, blah. I want to do a threesome. I want to do this. I want to do that. Because like I said, if you have feelings for someone and you find out they're doing it behind your back, it's so painful. It is. It is painful. And there's another thing, too, that you have to consider when you think of open relationships or even sleeping around. This is not going to be a a term that most people have heard about, but there's a thing called soul ties. And just look it up. But any time that we have sex with somebody, there's a transference of DNA. It's We leave a soul tie. So you ever leave one relationship, you jump into another, you're sleeping together, but then you got all these memories of your ex? That's one example of what a soul tie can do to you or why you want to run back to sleep with the ex. Anytime there's a fight with the current boyfriend, soul ties have a lot to do with that because again, this can get really scientific, really quick and really out there quick. So I just encourage people to look up soul ties because that is the one thing I will tell you that helps me not be a whore again, because my instinct is to be a slutty whore. Like I just want to be a slutty whore all the time because- That is how I like to express myself, or that's how I like to. Instinctively, that's what I want to do is be a whore. So the way that I keep myself from doing that and acting on every impulse like I used to is the understanding that, do I really want this person attached to me now? Do I need this in my life? 
Probably not. I don't need their drama. I don't need any of that stuff. So I'm going to be way more selective about who I jump in bed with. And so now it's basically made me into a committed man now. I'm not sleeping around, even though I have permission to. But That's it's crazy. The idea of it. I never heard of this term soul tight, but it's interesting that you're saying that because that's how I feel. The reason why I take forever to jump from one partner to the other is because of that exchange in energy. People mm-hmm. think I fuck guys every night because of the podcast. It's hilarious, but I actually have very few partners. Like I take forever. Like if a relationship doesn't work out, I go months and months and months on end because I have such a hard time. Am I really going to let this guy touch my body, be inside me and all this energy? Do I want it? Does he deserve it? It takes me forever because of that. But at the end, and nothing against people that want to have sex every night, by the way, do whatever you want. But in a way, (laughs) it preserves you. (laughs) It preserves me. When I finally have sex with someone and my guest just asked me that on Tuesday, she was like, oh, how do you feel when you have sex, sex that sucks? And I said, it usually doesn't happen to me because I wait so long. So when I finally pick my partner, it's somebody that I really, really want. So usually when I end up in bed with someone, it's very delicious and explosive. That's one benefit of not like having sex with a bunch of different people. Oh, I agree. I, again, it's like, all that stuff sounded so amazing when I was younger and because I was caught up in it. And then of course I was involved in the drugs and all that. And again, mentally, it's like, mentally I can go there, but physically I just don't want that because I realized that it comes with complications. And here's the other thing. I am, I'm open about having HIV. I'm, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm undetectable. Thank God for the medication. I can't pass it on to my wife or if we had other partners, pass it on to to them. I like being outspoken about it because there's a stigma around HIV still and there shouldn't be because it can happen to anybody. And the sad thing is this, there are so many people walking around right now with HIV and they have no freaking clue because they won't go. Get oh, yeah. tested so you can get the medication so you can go back to boning. It's Wanting. pretty simple. No, I are not boning. Whatever you want to do. Yes. No, it's a huge problem, obviously, especially here in LA. I think any play, any city with really big sexual communities, they fear getting tested. And yeah, it's worse. I was in all the bathhouses in LA. Like every <laughs> one that was there, I don't know which ones are still there, but I went to those. When I was tweaking on meth, I went to, I won't name all the names, but I was in that scene, like, because I couldn't get enough. And so I know that unprotected sex went on. I was doing unprotected sex and, and God knows what I could have done to myself. Like the fact that I'm alive is a miracle after what I was doing, but it is not that, okay. The medicine is so good now and so worth getting tested. I get so worth it because you don't want to give it to other people, especially Like no one wants to be that person. If I have to live with the fact that I probably, I know that I was sleeping with people when I had HIV. And of course I didn't know it at the time, but I I was doing that. So like, I know that I put other people at risk and that ain't, that's not effing cool. There's nothing cool about that. Oh, I know. It's the ultimate sign of selfishness. 
Oh, it's yes. worth getting tested. It doesn't cost any money. And frankly, another thing too, people say, well, I don't have insurance or I don't have the right health care to pay for the medication. I'm going to tell you right now, I was freaking homeless and got my medication taken care of. Yeah, I, no, no, like, there's so many resources out. Yes, there are so many resources. So yes, anybody listening that, you know, is being abused in any way that is fighting an addiction, that is afraid of getting tested. This is a good wake up call. Just fucking get it done. <laughs> Just get it done. Anything. And move on with your life. Yeah. And get it done. Right. That's I, right. Before I let you go. Yeah. So I was talking about Matt Perry. He's this crazy famous actor. Remember in the Friends series, he wrote a book and I thought I'm going to read his book because I love reading true stories of addicts that didn't die. And so I went to his book signing on, because he was like you, he literally almost died a bunch of times. And I went to his book signing on Saturday and I'm like, am I the only person here that is noticing this guy? He was like in a fog. He was like super, he looked super depressed, like somebody shoved a bunch of calming pills, whatever, up his ass to be there. He was, he was like, his hand was like trembling to sign the book. And I was like, hi, I'm Kat. Do you remember me? I've, I've seen you in many times on different sets. Nah, I'm a fellow actor. I felt like my heart broke for the guy because I felt he was like a pony in a circus. Like this line of people and a bunch of bodyguards and people taking pictures. And he was literally sitting there, like barely moving and like literally drugged, not drugged from, from like illegal drugs, but like some, somebody pumped him with drugs to function and go to the book signing, and it just broke my heart. It just broke. That's why I'm telling you about it before we break, because everybody's asking me, how was the book sign? How was the book sign? I'm saying, fighting addiction is really tough. It's really tough. If you come clean on the other side, I hope you have nice people. Yeah, make money from a book, and all this stuff is great, but I hope you have good people on your side that doesn't take advantage of the situation. I really felt it. They were taking advantage of the situation and putting him there because it's a money-making machine. But you got the best look at that growing up in the industry. Like you saw that. You know how handlers work. Thinks that it's like the greatest thing ever to be the guy or girl on the red carpet. But okay. when you see what goes on behind the scenes to get yeah. people there, like big ass team telling you what you can do, can't do, what you can say, can't say. Like it's a, so that sounds like a miserable existence. Exactly. And I, in his case, I was like, man, this guy is not okay. He's not smiling. He's not enjoying it. He was literally had the same face, like barely moving the whole time and lines and lines. And by the way, I think I was the only fan there, fan. I was the only person there that had actually read the book. Everybody was just fans from the TV show, like with memorabilia and crap for him to sign. I'm like, these people are so oblivious, but this guy's in pain. He's in pain. He's not okay. And it broke my heart. What do you, I got to ask you something. What do you think? Do you think celebrities did? Or is it just changing? I believe celebrities did as, as far as being the mega stars. I think those days are over. What do you think about? I don't think it's over. I don't think it's dead. And I don't think Hollywood is ever going to let that die because it's such a money-making machine. But the market's global now too, though, because anyone but can I make think you're always gonna have You're always going to have the celebrities, the red carpet, the, the pomp and circumstance, because that's what sells movies. 
at least that's my impression. I don't think it's dead at all. But like you said, some people are there and they love it. They love the spotlight. They, that's their life. And it doesn't matter how much money they make. That's what they want. There are many examples. For example, the Kardashians. They are making billions with a B. They could go home and enjoy their kids and their money. No, no, no. They're all over the place. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. I'm on TV. Yeah. I'm on TV. And I'm thinking, why the fuck are you still doing that? Take a little break. Breathe. Another example that everybody talks about here in Hollywood. I was just talking about her with the, another lady I interviewed. J-Lo. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You've been married 50 million times. You make hundreds of millions of dollars. Mary Affleck again, great for you. Instead of, okay, take this private. This man is an alcoholic, reco recovered alcoholic, by the way. Very similar story to Anthony from Boston, but he recovered and Anthony didn't. Instead of keeping this marriage under the, uh, at home, right? By the fucking husband. She's telling the world, oh, he loves me. He loves and we're like, shut the fuck up and enjoy it. You don't need the money anymore. You don't need the attention. I personally think celebrity has been never been less relevant. I think it's changing. I think another, I'm going to, I'm going to lay a prediction out for you and your listeners. Okay. Media as we know it is also done. So like the CNNs of the world, the ABCs, the Disney's where they have just a few companies have all the power. The yeah. future that we're going into, the power is going to lie in our hands. So instead of the power in the hands of a few, it's going to be the power in the hands of, of the many. The independent media organization is the media company of the future. And that's what we're going into. So I, I think celebrity is about to get flipped on its head. I think COVID, this season of our lives, has made celebrity almost irrelevant. I know it's still powerful. But it's nothing like it was, and I don't think it'll ever get back. I think that we are about to see what we're about to see the world change in dramatic fashion. And it's so exciting for people like you, somebody that knows media the way that you do. This is a time for you, your career, and all that you've done, all of your intellectual property, all that you've gone through in your life, all these experiences, they're about to take you a whole new level. And you're going to do it for yourself. It's not going to be because of anyone else. No right. one did it for you. Your work and your labor, you are, you are prime, prime position for when we step into the fourth industrial revolution fully, you are primed to be a massive success. And I am rooting for you all the way. <laughs> Thank you. I am so grateful that I got to do this with you. Absolutely. I am very now grateful. Now I want to interview you on my, like, you're going to, we're going to have to do this again, but let me yes. ask questions because you are just a wealth of information, a wealth of experience. I, am, I have so much admiration for you because I read your book. Oh, my God. And Thank you. Just, likewise. There's I people dying for your story. Yeah, no. And likewise, I think you're a very brave man. And I am very honored to have you here because, like I said, it's so tough to find people that just have the balls to say all of these things that you're saying, like with a smile on your face. And you're a survivor. So that's a happy ending. I love stories with happy endings. You should do a TED Talk. For sure. I can t totally see you being a TED talker. I'll Lenny. talk anywhere that I'm asked to. I promise you. 
No, you should. Like, I see you as a person, yes, talking, going all over the country, inspiring people because so, and women too, but so many men, gay men, bisexual men, people that were abused, they people doing drugs, they feel like, okay, that's it. I can never get out of it. But you are proof that you can, and you can have a wonderful life after that. Yeah, even with HIV, even with jail, yeah. even with prison, we, even with all that stuff. Yeah. I'm living the life that I was created to live, and I've well, never been more happy yeah. in my life. I And you look very happy, and you look amazing, and your wife is gorgeous. I'm going to put videos of you guys on my social media so everybody can see you, because I know I'm going to get 10 million messages. And the book, I have not finished it yet, but I do want to finish it, because I love the title, and I like how you made the cover, like, half of your face. And I everything. did that. We design all of our own stuff. So that, the, he is gifted. Well, devil inside. I yeah, love devil inside me. Where can people find it? Can they buy it on Amazon? You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and of course my website, joshuatberglin.com. Joshua T. Berglin. And so you publish your if anybody wants to listen more episodes of your podcast, they can go to your website, Joshua T. Berglin, and it's all there, right? Yes, it is. It's all there. We distribute to all the other platforms, but we are very big on teaching people to own your content, own your messaging, and only promote what you know. Very, like, I learned all this from Master P. Um, when I was in college, I was a backup dancer in one of the rap videos. <laughs> or it's actually his sons, but I got to meet him. And I thought I was going to get to smoke pot with him, but instead he gave me business advice that stuck with me and shaped like everything I do today is because of that day in Boca Raton when I was going to college for this video shoot. I, that day that stuck with me and it's changed my life. And the whole, everything that we do as a nonprofit, everything I do as an individual was really the foundation of that started the day Master P gave me that advice. That's awesome. Amazing. You guys do great work. And t tell me before I let you go really quickly about your non-for-profit organization? We have a non-profit media organization called the Live Mana Worldwide Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, non-profit media, it's a full-service media organization. We teach and equip people that are ex-convicts, former yeah. prostitutes, um, abused children, inner-city kids, people from third-world countries, people that don't have the education, the finances. We give our resources away to them. We help them launch because here's the thing I know. If media, you can do anything. You can literally monetize anything if you know how to use media. So we teach that. So people like me that have, I can't get a regular job because of my record, but I can make my dreams come true still. And so I want to teach other people how to do the same thing. And that's I what I had really admire you guys. And I think the message we're going to leave here is that, like you were asking about your relative, there is always a way to start over. As oh. long as you're alive, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. There's always somebody that's going to help or some resource. Don't stay in any situation that you don't want to be in for fear. Get the hell out and start over and you're going to be so much happier. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. You guys are amazing. Matt, so much love for you. I cannot wait to do this again. And yes. I can't wait to give you a real hug in person when we come well, down. Yes, I hope you guys come down to LA and I can get to meet you in person. Oh, that's going to happen. I promise. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. It was such a pleasure. 
Do I want, tell me your wife's name again. I'm so sorry. Braves. Jessica and Josh T. Berglund. This was an enormous pleasure. Thank you so much. This was a very special, very emotional cat on the Like at some point, I'm like holding tears inside. My chest gets a little tight, but I think these are very important stories to tell. Thank you, Josh. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye.